Well, this is the seventh and final week in this series that I just named after words Jesus used when he said, I will build my church. And we've talked about the importance and the role of the local church, not only in the world, but even in our lives, in the lives of the Christian. And to do that, I tried to make a case with you these few weeks to explain the local church. What is the church? We even started with what it isn't. It's, it's not just a metaphor. It's not just coffee with friends. It's not even a human project, and it's not even a voluntary society. So then what is the church? And we talked about being the pleasure of God, the purpose of God, the proclamation and provision of God, all the things that he is doing in the world, he does through this kingdom embassy of a local church. We also talked about why a church exists and how a church functions to explain the reasons behind what God is doing in a place like Hope Evangelical Free Church. Last week I tried to explain the connection between a Christian and a church, that they intimately connected, just as a child's connected in a healthy situation to their parents and their siblings, so a child of God is connected to the family of God and their Christian siblings. But this week, as we kind of finish the series, I want to ask the question, how does Christianity happen in a local church? And even if you look at the text that Carl just read for us, if either in your notes or in your Bible, look with me at Colossians 3, 12 through 17. If you look at this text, you'll actually see that it reflects deep aspects of the Christian life, all of which, by the way, require the church. Like I would like to argue, and I, I think you have to make a case, you have to come up with alternative proof that you could actually do what these verses are prescribing or commanding for us to do somehow without being part of a local church. For example, look at verse 12. Paul starts in this text with this language of put on, almost as if you're putting on a coat or a jacket. Put on then as God's chosen ones. You hear this language. This is who you are. If you're a Christian, this is you. You've been chosen by God. You're holy, not just made holy through the death of Christ, but you're literally set apart. The word holy means like you're set apart. You're, you're saved for something significant and special. And you're beloved. You're the recipient of God's love. So then you should be putting on these things and, and listen to them. Compassionate hearts, kindness, humility, meekness, and patience. How do you put those on alone? Who helps you? Who shows you and teaches you what those things are? You probably don't need much patience if you're not with a bunch of people with whom you get impatient. Who holds you accountable to these things? Who provides the resources for you to do such things? Look at verse 13. How do you do verse 13 alone? Bearing with one another. How do you do that if there's no other one another? Bearing with one another, and if one has a complaint against another, forgiving each other as the Lord has forgiven you, so you also must forgive. These traits in verse 13 are speaking about relationships and community. Look at verses 14 and 15. In light of all the reality of kindness and humility and patience, but realizing from verse 13 there will be conflict, there'll be disagreement, there'll be strife, what is the ultimate goal? Verse 14 gives it. And above all these, put on love, 
which binds together everything in perfect harmony. That's talking about the people. And let the peace of Christ, verse 15 says, rule in your hearts. Again, it's not, this isn't this, the peace of Christ ruling in your little individual heart, as much as that may be good and true. The language here is talking about this collective peace of Christ. That the body just looks different because Christ has so ruled over and infiltrated its parts that it begins to look like Jesus. Which is where where verse 15, 15 ends. To which indeed you were called in one body. The many parts in one body. How do you obey the call to one body if you've amputated yourself from it? Look at verse 16. And let the word of Christ, we've got the peace of Christ. Now we have the word of Christ, not just Christ's presence, but Christ's ministry. Let the word of Christ dwell in you richly. And again, this is where it's hard. Every time we see you, we think it's like talking to me alone in my study or devotional life. And it's partially true, but this is where Texans have a real advantage over us from Illinois. Because they got a word for this called y'all. And you wish you could just translate all these as y'all. Let the word of Christ dwell in y'all richly. And, and, and the proof of that is what the next phrase says. Teaching and admonishing. It doesn't say teach and admonish yourself. What's it say? Teaching and admonishing one another in all wisdom. Singing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs with thanksgiving in your, plural, hearts to God. That's what we just did. And we were ministering to one another. That's maybe what you did when you were getting coffee and donuts before the service where you talked to a friend. When a sister in Christ after first service comes up and says, hey, I'm praying for your mom. Or I could literally speak to somebody just right before service started about how their dad's doing. That's what the family of God does. That's the y'all of church. You can't do that with an eye campus or a chat room where you just give a prayer request on the side and you're watching on a screen. You do that in a family. You minister to one another. In fact, you can't even do this if you're only here once in a while. Again, I'm not trying to even put, put a pressure or guilt. I'm not trying to do any of those kind of social things. I'm just simply saying the reality is You've got to be present to be with God's people to do this kind of ministry. And you're not, just, you're not just a customer receiving ministry. You're actually an employee doing ministry as part of God's family. Finally, verse 17, and whatever y'all do, Texas translation, in word or deed, y'all do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus giving thanks to God the Father through him. Again, note that plural you, y'all. I mentioned the very first week of this series, a book by someone named Kelly Bean. Her book is entitled, How to Be a Christian Without Going to Church. And I wish I could ask Kelly how in the world she would do that in light of this verse. Like, tell me, Kelly, how would you do this? Because she, she starts this book with this chapter where she's got this beautiful chair, the big cozy chair with a good pillow, and this sweet window that looks at this one tree with all these leaves. And her 
big coffee mug with her favorite brewed coffee. And she talks about doing Christianity from that chair. And that sounds kind of cute and quaint in one sense. But how do you do Colossians 3, 12 through 17 in that chair? No matter the coffee or the comfort of the pillow. Where's the one anotherness? Where's the need for patience and forgiveness? Where's the y'all when it's just you? It just sounds particularly striking in that it just sounds a lot like our modern, individualistic, consumeristic, pagan ideas rather than Christian. So I'd like to close with is this statement. I would like to say this, to close this series with, before I give you three points, is this. Christianity happens in the local church. And I mean that. I don't think I'm arguing poorly from Scripture. You could find a way to correct me later. I'd be happy to listen. But I would think, biblically speaking, God would say to you, based on Colossians 3 and others, that Christianity happens in the local church. It doesn't just happen in this free-floating world out here. It's not some kind of pagan and alien idea, maybe existing a hundred years, that I have this individual spiritual life that in some way isn't plugged into the body of Christ. That would have made no sense to the majority of Christians throughout the history of the world. But it's a common way we speak now. How's your spiritual life? Well, ask my church family. You don't do cooking outside of a kitchen. You don't do probably extreme exercise outside of a gym. And to be honest, you're going to have a hard time doing Christianity outside of the church. I remember one of my kids was supposed to do the dishes. And I heard their mother say, hard to do the dishes watching football. There's no TV in the kitchen. They were in the other room. I'm coming, Mom. You, you can't do the kitchen work outside of the kitchen. You really can't do Christianity outside of the church. And that isn't to put on the church something that doesn't belong there. That's to just put it in God's intention, His purpose for the body of Christ, His command that you're not a consumer, you're also an employee, a minister, that's just to say that the church is where God has assigned you to do the Christian life. Just like I'm guessing your married life involves a home. I'm guessing your parental life involves family time together. And it'd be pretty hard to say, I'm going to go to Cleveland and I'm going to be the most present and available dad ever and find that to be a successful rate or satisfying to a spouse and kids. Christianity happens in the local church. And since it happens in the local church, there are three ways you can make sure you are being fully biblical and healthily Christian. And here they are. The first is to gather. It's the first thing. And when I say gather, I mean that you make a personal commitment to a local church. If you are a Christian, you are part of the church. That is personal. That includes you. And it requires all of you. You matter. You've been assigned by the king to be part of this family. That's personal. Just like if you're a mom or a dad, you've been assigned by the king to those kids. And it's pretty personal 
to you, and they're pretty sure it's personal to them. Well, think of your church that way. It's personal. It's a personal commitment you make to a church. And one thing that we need to understand is this. Christianity is more than a belief system. It's not just a philosophy I adopt. Well, I hold to this philosophy. Christianity is a life. It's a lifestyle. It's fully embodied and present and physical. It involves gatherings and serving and receiving and giving and getting. It involves all those things. It's a lifestyle. It's a family. It's a ministry. It's not just a philosophy. Look at Hebrews 10. I, I put in your notes 10, to 20, 10 verses 24 to 25. The author of Hebrews says this, and let us, notice he's speaking plural, like really most of the Bible. Let us consider, let us strategize, let us be intentional about how to stir up one another to love and good works, right? So he's, he's saying, listen, it's, it's more than just being a cul-de-sac of information. Like the goal of the Christian life is to live this stuff out. But notice the next thing he says in verse 25. Well, the first step in that is not neglecting to meet together, as is the habit of some. Like you need to be present personally to be able to engage and minister the way you're supposed to. How can you be held accountable or you exhort someone else if you're not even in the room? Hebrews ends in verse 25, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near. And if you notice, the word day is capitalized. Why? Because it's talking about the day, the end of human history, the return of Christ. You know, I, I've shared this before, but it's, it's important just biblically to understand this. The entire period of time from the ascension of Jesus to the second coming is like the fourth quarter in a football game. It's the fourth quarter. That's why the New Testament continually says things like, in these last days, right? In, in these last hours, in this final moment, as you see the day approaching, like you're in the fourth quarter. And what do a lot of teams do? They, they kind of put their fourth, finger, fourth quarter, let's go. I mean, it's, it's hone in, let's focus now. It's not like it's the first quarter. This is the fourth quarter. If, you got, if you're in a huddle of a football game, it's the fourth quarter, and you got some guy walking, like waving at a cheerleader, he's going to get yelled at. Or waving at mom in the stands, or asking, what are you guys doing for lunch after this? You'd hear some rebukes from a player or from the coach. It's the fourth quarter. Let's go. The game is close. So here's the author of Hebrews like, what are you guys doing? It's the fourth quarter. Like Christ is coming soon. We don't know when. And even Christians may debate the how. But we know that he's coming. So live like it. And yet you're not even taking seriously the huddle. You're not even in the huddle let alone acting as if you're playing in the game. So what's this look like? What's it mean to gather? What's it mean to make a personal commitment to a local church? Let me give you a couple applications. Here'd be one. Prioritize Sunday mornings. That, that, that's probably the biggest way. If I could italicize it, capitalize it, put it in bold, underline it, circle it, neon lights pointing down, I would say prioritize Sunday mornings. And I get it. You got people that are nurses, medical staff, work for government, police. Thank you for all your service. 
traveling with business, obviously, you're, you're limited by the work you do in your situation in life. But as, as you are able before the Lord, you prioritize the Sunday gathering. And I say that not because that's just a kind of a, hey, that's, this is a good thought. This is exactly what you see the Bible doing. Not neglect to meet together. He's talking about corporate worship. He's not talking about meet at Panera on Thursdays. He's talking about corporate worship. Prioritize Sunday mornings. And I have seen more and more that our culture will not prioritize those things. There will be more sporting events, kids' activities, parades to attend, various activities on Sunday morning. I'm driving here this morning at six something, and I see a guy pulling out a near road near me with his fishing boat attached. And I'm like, hey man, the fishing is happening by the church. Fishers of men. Now, again, this may not be a man that even knows Christ. I have no idea. I don't even know who it is. I, I'm just simply saying it was an interesting thought to think about as I see a guy literally at 6 something in the morning getting ready to go fishing. There's nothing wrong with fishing. That's a great task. But prioritize Sunday mornings as the Lord has called you to do. And I think it's harder and harder for parents when there's more and more kids' activities on Sundays. And you're going to have to make some really hard and fast decisions about what you do with that. And we've had several families make decisions, make decisions to take a break from church for four, five, six months at a time because of a soccer club or things like that. And there are, I, I get it, right? I mean, I'm not saying what is right and wrong. I think that's complex to do. All I know is those things will disciple us in some way. They will disengage us in some way. They will. Those are hard decisions to make. My in-laws who are visiting this weekend my, da my daughter, my wife tells me that when she was growing up, they would even encourage their kids, hey, don't be out late Saturday night. Church is tomorrow. Like, if you're going to have to be out late, be out late on a Friday. But, like, literally, you're already getting ready for church. You're not just kind of walking in, coffee. You know what I mean? Because, I mean, you've given all of yourself, and Sunday, you're just a consumer. No, like, you're walking in, and you're ready because you got work to do. You got, you got a sister that needs to be prayed with. You got a brother that needs help with something. You're watching kids so that their parents can be ministered to. Like, you're here to work. Just imagine if we had 300 employees running over this place, ministering, loving, praying, hugging. It looked like a church. Prioritize Sunday mornings. Maybe a second would be strive for a plus one approach. I've shared that with you before. A plus one approach is Sunday morning plus one thing. What is one other disciple-making activity I can do to grow in my walk with Christ? If I'm a high school kid, maybe it's youth group. If I'm an adult, maybe it's a growth hour. Or I looking to find a good small group to plug into. Like, find some other way to be growing as a disciple. One other way to do that. And they can be hard to find, and you want the avenues. I mean, if you're coming to that newcomer lunch today, we'll talk about here are some ways to plug in. Here's Sunday morning, and here's a plus one. Like, plug in. Find ways to plug in so that you are growing, and when you get healthy enough, then you're finding ways to be giving because that's what discipleship is. Use special programs like women's bonfires, men's breakfasts, other men's and women's ministry stuff to find inroads to being healthily plugged into your local church because you're called to gather, to make a personal commitment. 
Second is grow. The second way we can make sure we're being fully biblical and healthily Christian is to grow. And by that I mean make a spiritual commitment to a local church. Be present, be involved, but be intentional. Just like our text. Notice the language in Colossians 3. Language of intentionality. Stuff that you're supposed to do. Some of it even feels a bit metaphorical because it's talking about spiritual things. Like put on these traits. Or let this rule, or let this dwell in you. Or do everything in the name of Jesus. Notice the language of purpose and intentionality. So since Christianity happens in the church, a local church should be the place where you ground your Christian life. Where you do your Christian life. Just as you're probably doing marriage and parenting in your biological family. You know, I go, yeah, dude, I'm a, I'm a great husband. I do it with that family. Or I, I do it via Skype and FaceTime. No, you're, you're physically present and you're intentional in relationships, in communication, and activities. Part of me wants to say, trust in the ordinary means of grace. You familiar with that phrase, the ordinary means of grace? That's an old church phrase. It means through the ordinary things that God works through. We are in a day when we've been taught that bigger is better. It has to be exciting. It must be new. Or actually, God likes to work through the old and the ordinary more often than not. The ordinary means of grace. The regular gathering of God's people. The regular preaching of God's word the regular practice of baptism in Lord's Supper, the regular life of the church body, ordinary means of grace. Because we're tempted to think it's gotta be, we gotta make it bigger, we gotta do a big bang, we've gotta have a flying helicopter with Easter eggs coming out to draw people to church, or the massive experience of sound, or the best celebrity preacher. And actually what God does is he does extraordinary work through very ordinary means. God could have, if he were going to do it extraordinary, he, he, actually he should have had the only staff allowed at a church would actually be the angelic beings. Or you come to worship and like an angel walks out with a guitar, or probably a harp, sorry. Like the preaching is some angel, you know, seven feet tall with a claymore sword on his back. When he says, thus saith the Lord, he's not kidding. It'd be done to perfection. It'd be the angelic beings. But no, what does God use? He uses ordinary people with ordinary preaching gifts and ordinary music gifts and ordinary tech with pew, with sound and mics dropped and forget to turn in, batteries run out, with ordinary church people to do extraordinary work. And that's what he chose to do. I'm teaching a class on Thursday nights at Trinity in Deerfield, hour and 15 minutes away. And uh, every class I've taught since I've been here, I do maybe one or so a year. Every other class has been for the seminary students. This is the first time where they said, would you do an undergrad class? I said, sure. So I got about 25 kids in this class. I got this one kid. He is, if, if, if he's a believer, he's super new to the faith. So I'm doing this class, literally just surveying the New Testament. I do it in a way, just assuming that these kids may not even be believers, may not know much about the gospel and about Christianity. And so I explain it in a way that I'm explaining the gospel. I'm talking about the beauty of Jesus. And here's this huge athletic football guy who comes up to me after a class. Like he, I can see he's waiting for the kids to leave. And he just comes up and he goes, Dr. Clink, you're blowing my mind. 
He's like, I can't even stop from crying. Like, I can't believe that's that what Jesus did for me. I cannot believe that. You're not joking me, are you? He goes, like he's looking at me. You're not joking me, are you? Like, Jesus did that for me. And we, all we're doing is going through like Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We're just going through the Gospels. And I'm just explaining the Gospel from the Gospels. He's like, I can't believe. He, he, he chokes up. He pauses. He goes, I can't believe he suffered like that for me. I can't believe that. Nobody ever told me that before. I've never understood that. And so every week after class here, he would come up. He'd want about 20, I mean, it's like 9.30. I had an hour, 15 minute drive. Man, did I want to get home. But I got this long conversation, and that's part of my job. And we have the conversation, and finally about three, four weeks, he's like, I, I, I want to grow. I want to, what, what do I do? I say, you got to go to church. First thing, big, he's like, what? What's church have to do with it? Church. If I were to give you one thing to say that you should do as a disciple, Sunday morning, go to church. So we look at a list of names. He's, I, I went to seminary in the area. I know some of the churches. He goes, I go, there you go, right there, go there. So the first Sunday he goes, he comes back. That next Thursday night class, he goes, dude, did you call the pastor? Seriously, did you? Did you call the pastor? I'm like, I don't even know the pastor's name. I don't even know who he is. He's like, here, here, here's the thing. He goes, I'm sitting there, and the guy's talking, and it's literally like, it's literally like he just rips open my chest and starts to dissect me. And I'm like, you know what that is, man? That's actually God. That's how God works through ordinary means to do, to do extraordinary things. That's church. Finally, last time we met, he came up and said, get this, man. You're not going to believe this. He keeps calling me, man. Get this, man. I'm sitting there by myself. I don't know anybody in this older couple. We're talking really old. Like they're in their 50s. I'm like, yeah, dude, that's old. He's 19. He goes, they come up, and here's the thing. They start talking to me, and I'm going to sit with them next week. Just normal people, just like a whole bunch of you, seeing some 19-year-old kid come in and sit. That's because God does extraordinary things through ordinary means, because we actually believe that the preaching of God's Word through ordinary preachers with ordinary minds and ordinary gifts is what the Spirit uses to do extraordinary things. So we don't have to have the biggest bang. Because we have the biggest God. So remove application for growing. Remove any false or unbiblical views that you have a spiritual life that can be separated from the church. That, that, that is fiction and actually is a symptom of pagan individualism that has infiltrated our culture. Rather, come to church regularly. Come to church ready. Come to church with repentance Come to church with rejoicing and come to church for relationships. And oh, by the way, all of those comes to church statements I just took from Colossians 3. Last, gather, grow, and give. Don't just make a personal commitment to local church. Don't just make a spiritual commitment to local church. Make a ministry commitment to local church. And to be fair, this may not be where some of you are. Some of you might just be younger Christians and you're not able ready to give. You're still needing to grow. Fair enough. 
In fact, you might even just be at the gather stage. Just coming regularly is something that where you're at. So be it. That's, it's okay. But when you look at our text, you don't just see language of intentionality. You actually see language of responsibility. Bearing with one another, forgiving one another, teaching one another, admonishing one another, having harmony together, called in one body. How do you do that? That's responsibility. You need to do something. In fact, everything that God calls you to do is a form of giving to God. Look at verse 17. Whatever y'all do, whatever it is, like whether it's a spoken word or a loving deed, do everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. Why? Giving thanks to God the Father through him. Notice how giving, one of the last statements made in verse 17. Everything you do, whatever it is, done in Jesus' name is ultimately giving to God. So how, how can you gather and grow and not give if everything you could or should do is a kind of giving? A Christian gives to God through their local church. This is the place for you to do ministry. And a lot of times we, and we've said it before, the three T's that are helpful to think about the ways that I can and should give. The first is time. You give your time. You're here regularly. You gather with your people. You're consistently involved in ministry. Maybe you serve every single week. Maybe you serve bi-weekly, alternate weeks. Maybe you go to this growth hour, but the next growth hour you serve because you know that there's other moms and dads or other grandparents who bring their grandkids or just kids in need that you're going to serve during growth hour because you know somebody else needs a break. Maybe you serve in some other ways, but you regularly give your time. It's in Awana, it's VBS, it's with men's or women's ministry. It's with helping hands or the diaconate or other kind of areas of ministry we might have in the church. You're giving of your time. The second, you're giving of your talent. Just as God does special grace ministry through the saving work of Jesus Christ, so he gives common grace gifts. You can fix things. You can organize well. You can write notes of encouragement. You can use your talents, and everybody here has them. And you use them not just for your common grace vocation, but for your life as a Christian. And you do that right in your local church. Time, talent, and even treasure. And the church can't be scared to talk about money because God's not. Our treasure is the common grace resources the Lord provides. And it's to be returned to him in appropriate portion. Just as Genesis 4.3 explains that the sons of Adam give the Lord an offering of the fruit of the ground. Like in the creation ordinance, that's what you see God doing. For the Christian, this isn't a burden, brothers and sisters, but a blessing. For while it directs us away from our own glories... And toward the glory of God, it also contributes to the spiritual and physical needs of Christ's body, the church. My, my uh, friend and co-elder Brad Schreiner taught me this some time ago, and I still find it helpful for my own life. He says most of the time when people, when it comes to money and finances, you're either driven by lust or fear. Lust for good things, fear of bad things. And what's missed on those two extremes is generosity. So which bent is yours? 
a lust for good things or a fear of bad things. The church includes the collection of offerings in corporate worship because it, it is as much the part of worship as singing of songs and preaching of Scripture. We give our minds to Christ. We give our hearts to Christ. We give our resources to Christ. What did we just sing? Consecrate my life to thee. And we just started singing about various parts. My hands, my feet, my words, my love, my money. The Apostle Paul even commands the regular practice of the collection of offerings on a weekly basis. Paul says, quote, on the first day of every week, i.e. Sunday, that is when the church gathers for corporate worship with the expectation that this command is for, quote, each of you as he may prosper. 1 Corinthians 16.2. The point is clear. The collection of offerings is not about profit, but about proper worship. If we as a church didn't collect offerings, we'd be sinning against your worship. Think of it that way. The gathering of a local church is an assembly of citizens of another kingdom. Children undeservedly adopted by a loving father and a people for whom God is their first love. Because the command to love God is an invitation to delight in him, Christians willingly and worshipfully give an offering to the Lord the one to whom so much more is deserved. If I could tweak 1 John 4, 19, we give because he first gave to us. So when Paul says at the beginning of verse 12, put on, and he lists these things, and he calls you chosen ones, holy and beloved, I think he's being very clear about a responsibility that you, as you grow in Christ, will have as disciples to the Lord and siblings to one another. You're not just supposed to be ministered to. You're supposed to do ministry. Gather, grow, and give. Those are three ways you can make sure you are being fully biblical and healthily Christian. Maybe some of you are just at the gather place. Just gather. Just gather. Let us help guide you in worship and bring you to Christ and help you grow. Like that young man in my class, he just needs to soak in Jesus. He just needs to soak in Jesus. And you can pretty much guarantee that on Thursday night, you can think of me at 930 because guess who I'll be probably talking to. And you can praise God for that super old couple in their 50s who graciously went up to a strange, big young man and invested in him. Because they weren't just customers. They were Christians. And now you think about the local church. And it's beautiful. But don't just think about a local church. Think about your church. Maybe this isn't your church, and what I'm going to conclude with may not be perfectly aligned yet to you. But if you are a member or a regular attender of Hope Evangelical Free Church, this is the place where God has called you to gather, to grow, and to give as a disciple of Jesus Christ. And I want to invite you 
to do Christianity in the place and with the people as part of the process that God designed for you. Don't amputate yourself from the body of Christ, but latch on like that little toddler that craves the safety and comfort of mom and dad. So does the Christian dwell richly and comfortably and joyfully and servingly in the family of God. And I know wherever you are today that through this ordinary act of preaching, God's Spirit will minister these words to your heart and soul as He sees fit. Let's pray. Father, thank You for Your rich Word that ministers to us. Thank You for the gathering of Your people this morning. Father, help us even just to walk away understanding the gather, the grow, and the give of the Christian life. A personal, spiritual, and ministerial commitment to the people of God, to a local church. Father, to Hope Church. Father, as we end our service with a closing song, may it be a reflection of a heart that's been formed and shaped by the ministry of your Spirit through the message of your words because of the beautiful person of Jesus Christ. May we, like that young man on Thursday nights, be blown away by Jesus and crave growing and knowing who he truly is in our lives as the body of Christ. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.